Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We're a podcast. We're about twenty. We've done about twenty-five of these now, which is amazing. I thought we had done twelve, <laughs> but we're dedicated to entrepreneurs, startups, founders, uh, bringing them together with angels, VCs, venture capitalists, of course, uh, family offices, investment firms really trying to be the um, facilitator if possible. But mainly what we do is we talk to a lot of interesting people. And today I am delighted to welcome to the podcast, Michael Gustamacchio. Um, he is the CEO and co-founder of MediaZilla. And uh, MediaZilla can be described a, a lot of different ways. It's an online delivery platform. It's uh, They live in the delivery world, as Michael has told me. Uh, and they're building Edit in the Cloud. Welcome, Michael. Good to have you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. So how would you describe MediaZilla? <laughs> the million-dollar question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the best way we think about it, you know, we really kind of refactored our, our vision, our mission, really just focusing on delivering the world's most important videos at kind of a high level. That's the way we like to think about it. And, you know, we kind of jokingly say that that video is hard and there's a lot of nuanced things, but really at that top level, that's kind of the focus. And then under that is really focusing on, you know, video on demand, creating an amazing experience for the end user and creating a really just seamless process um, for people actually using the service. But really, you know, there's a ton of really important content that people need to see and view and have an amazing experience. And, you know, we want to be part of that. And, you know, it's funny because video is everywhere. Video is getting bigger and bigger, but video is hard to work with, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's it's definitely a challenging medium. Um, you know, we found that it's extremely powerful, um, but a lot of times, uh, if you don't have a purpose-built tool for it, and you're trying to use something that you know maybe might work, um, you might you might run into some challenges. There's just a lot of challenges um, with you know sometimes you get videos that are pixelated or it doesn't show up on your on your uh, your mobile device. Maybe it works in one medium, one browser. It doesn't work, but um, yeah, there's a lot of challenges out there. Yeah, and what's interesting is, of course, we have the high end of this, which is movies and television shows and commercials, where they seem to be able to do anything effortlessly. But of course, it takes it's it's nothing but effort. <laughs> it's really difficult to do any of that stuff. But um, let's let's just look at the the food chain here. At the bottom of this pyramid is um, is YouTube, and um, what what do you do that YouTube doesn't do? Let's start there. And I know you do a lot that YouTube doesn't do, but what, how would you describe it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and so first, yeah, I mean, YouTube's it's, it's incredibly powerful. I mean, no question about it. I watch YouTube videos all the time. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's an incredibly powerful tool that was created. And, you know, it's changed a lot of people's lives in a really positive way. People who want to monetize content. And, you know, I use it to fix stuff around the house. There was, as crazy as it sounds, uh, I, was, I had to reprogram my garage door remote for couldn't find the manual online <laughs> and a guy had a YouTube video walk through it step by step. So YouTube is, is incredibly powerful. Um, but I think what people have to understand is like, what is YouTube actually? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's consumer facing and there's kind of this uh, understood exchange where I'm going to watch ads, whether or not they apply to me, I'm going to have to go through some of these ads to get to the content that I actually want. And most people putting up content, you know, ideally they're trying to monetize it. And that's, that's kind of the, the way it's built. And the thing that really makes us different is we have no ads on the platform, you know, because the, the nature of the content going back to that top level thesis, like the world's most important videos, the world's most important videos aren't going to have a bunch of ads on them. Like, you know, Charlie bit my finger and cat videos. Like those are funny, but 
you know, they, I immediately uh, thought of videos. <laughs> They're like, aren't the most important videos in the world. Cat videos, we all know that. I'm a dog yeah. person, so I, I don't look at cat. I don't care about cat videos. I like dog videos, but, but, um, but you're more business to business, right? Or business to consumer, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of consider ourselves either B2B business to business or, or B2B to C. Um, so really, yeah, the, these enterprise videos, B2B communications, whether it's internal communications, corporate communications, product demos, uh, investor videos, training, video, you know, any type of this content, it really doesn't lend itself to uh, being ad supported. So that's kind of the first part of it. And I would say the second part that's really, really important is a lot of this content needs to stay private. So, you know, YouTube, they kind of have a few workarounds. There's, you can do an unlisted link and you can technically register for an account, but it's not the best solution. So I think a lot of it is really looking at, does this content need to stay private? And if it does, there's a lot of other better solutions than, than YouTube. So what is the core of that video content that has to stay private? Yeah, so usually there's a few attributes. So someone depending on if, like, what are you actually discussing? So if it's internal company, they might have IP, you know, intellectual property, trade secrets. Um, they could be discussing, you know, uh, R&D. So a lot of times it's just really confidential uh, content that's being discussed amongst teams internally, sometimes with stakeholders, the board, board of directors. Um, and especially, you know, look at the last couple of years. Well, when things went remote, you weren't necessarily in the same room. So you didn't necessarily have to worry about uh, recording these conversations, but in a remote first world or remote dominated world, you're going to be doing a lot of these uh, conversations and maybe not everyone's going to be able to attend. So I would say that's, that's a big part of it is, you know, is there any really important content? Um, the second part of it is, yeah, even the, the end users, um, maybe they don't want these links just being publicly accessible. So, you know, some of the content, um, if it's, you know, secure and private information. So if it was a life event, maybe that took place. Um, if it was something that it was a private conversation that you just, you don't want to see the light of day. Um, you know, you don't necessarily want that sitting on a, a public, a public link. So how do you, I'm assuming you're not encrypting things. So how do you guarantee that it, it stays private? Yeah. So there actually, <clears throat> there's a few mechanisms. Um, there's, I would say there's kind of, if we want to think about like layers of security or layers of privacy, uh, that protect this content. So, uh, the first part is if it's actually private, well, when someone tries to hit that link, they need to be actually logged into an account to access it. So there's kind of that first layer where we're looking, hey, someone's trying to access this link. Are they actually logged into their account? Do they have access? So just kind of some some key permissions there. Um, then there's there's additional security parameters. So some of the way we actually encode the video, um, we break it up into smaller chunks um, so that you know, people are actually just seeing those specific uh, chunks that they're able to watch. And it's not just this entire video. There's that's some of the, the downfalls that come with, uh, for example, like an MP4, where it's basically you're almost downloading the entire video and you kind of have access to everything. So there's some security parameters in there. Um, and there's other things that uh, if someone actually does have the link, even if it's private and they're logged into their account, there's timeouts on there. So the link's not just going to stay available forever where it's like, oh, 30 days later, that browser session that you kept open because you kept putting your computer to sleep is infinite, you know, indefinitely accessible. So um, there's there's some other uh, permissions in there or, or uh, timeouts in there. And there's a few other things, but yeah, there's the big thing is, yeah, there's multiple layers to really protect the privacy. And, and so a couple of years ago, and I know you've been in business since 2014, but 
but this shift, this is a pandemic shift. This is a, I don't know that we can say post-pandemic because we're still in it, but the pandemic shift is toward uh, remote workplaces, um, toward people now deciding if and when they want to go to work. A lot of companies are just letting people not come in. Uh, that's becoming rather commonplace. So that what that means is this trove of corporate video. It's probably fair to say it did not exist five years ago. There, I mean, I, by, by that I mean the meeting-based video. There might have been some of it, but it w- would have been more like corporate presentations, public relations, you know, maybe human resources training. Now you have this core video that's part of the way a company functions day to day, don't you? Absolutely. Well, you're supposed yeah. to say more than that, Michael. You're yeah, to- sorry. No, I'll go. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem. I didn't want to interject. I'm just but- kidding. No, no, no. Well, yeah, I was pontificating. But but essentially what it what what it means is that there's a whole new category of content in a corporation that literally really did not exist uh, three years ago. So that's yeah, a absolutely. big change. Yeah, yeah that's a great so, point. So um, um, moving up the pyramid, the next the next level up would be the Vimeo uh, level. Um, they have I think you told me 250 million uh, users is that right? That just seems in- incredible, and not very, not a lot of happy ones apparently. But um, uh, tell us the distinction because I, I like to think of you as kind of a potential Vimeo killer. Um, uh, and and when I say that, what I'm really asking you is what what is the what is the basic difference between you and them? Mediazilla yeah, yeah. and them. yeah, hundred percent. So I mean, I think there's a couple of core differences. So, I mean, Vimeo. Don't get me wrong. I, mean, I think it's it's a it's a quality product. It's a solid solid product. They've been out. They actually came out before uh, YouTube. They came out, I believe, in 2004. It was it was basically a year before YouTube came on the scene. And you know, it was pretty innovative. Uh, what they came out with. Their big thing was uh, they wanted to be kind of the antithesis of YouTube, no ads, and really focused on creators and things like that. And they lived that ethos for a while. Um, but the challenge came when they got acquired by uh, Interactive Corp. They kind of got bundled in and they grew internally. Um, a lot of just looking at some of the metrics, you know, they're kind of growing, um, I would say unsustainably, if you look at the actual like unit economics and things like that. And then, you know, to a certain degree, I would almost say they kind of lost their way where a lot of the focus was less around obsessing over the customer and, you know, building these really, like they built a lot of cool solutions early on. And later on it became more, hey, we want to spin out of IEC. We want to become public. We got to get our numbers in line, and you know we're just going to focus on growth, kind of at all costs and things like that. So I would say the big mm-hmm. difference really comes down to, from a product standpoint, um, still going back to uh, our method for secure private delivery, where end users can set up their free account, they can register for an account, and they have like a central repository um, for their projects, especially if it comes from multiple sources. Like I think that's something that's critical, um, where we see a lot of our customers. You know, they're receiving content from sometimes the same provider, uh, you know, multiple projects, sometimes over years or decades. Sometimes they're receiving content from multiple providers. So we uh, and I was actually just working on a blog post earlier, but just this concept about not having content that's living in email, living in 10 different sources, but for the end user, having it centralized. Um, And I would say another big part of it is um, really, again, kind of obsessing over your customers. I know. Vimeo is a huge scale. Like there's no question about it. And it's, it's, there's huge challenges at that scale to deal effectively with customer success. But <clears throat> when I start seeing 
reviews or reviews on Trustpilot or on their public Facebook page of people uh, almost like begging with them. Like you almost you see them pleading with them for weeks on end, just asking to get in touch with someone. And can you please respond? And Vimeo has their, their Autobot, uh, you know, their automated response. Um, so I would say those, those are a couple key differentiators. That you have your your customer focus, but what about this toolbox in the back end? What what do you have to manage that video to organize it that they don't? What makes you what makes MediaZilla special? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, our our method we call it a collection. So it's basically a way of actually um, showcasing content, multiple videos, creating one deliverable. So you know our our head of product he always says what is what is our superpower? What is MediaZilla's superpower? And I would say one of those for sure is the way we actually present video uh, and content. And specifically, we refer to it as a collection, but you can kind of think about it like an interactive menu, uh, interactive DVD or interactive Blu-ray menu. So when you used to have watch Blu-ray and DVDs, um, you know, you would have scene selection and bonus features and things like that. So kind of taking that same concept and moving mm -hmm. online. So through a browser, you can actually go through and you can access different menus. You can access uh, multiple videos and things like that. So what we found with a lot of our customers, especially really in this B2B space, is that oftentimes there's more than one video for a project. Um, maybe it's for that specific deliverable. So if there was a project for that day um, or that series, but oftentimes, you know, there might be multiple videos that are going to be delivered over the next days, weeks, months, or even years or things like that. Mm -hmm. So what we found is that there's, there's a way better path forward to have all this content organized uh, in basically one deliverable and specifically even one URL. So if I send a project to you, I'm like, hey, Michael, here's the first video of 10 that I'm going to send you over the next week. You know, maybe it's uh, internal training video. Maybe it's some type of board meeting or what have you. What's awesome about the collection is it preserves that same link for the project. And you can keep adding videos to it. You can remove videos. You can edit the project. You can add menus to that. But that URL is preserved. Um, and that part is really, really important. Um, so you have, you know, again, going back to this kind of central repository, both within my account as an end user, but also that specific project. Like that's something that we've spent the better part of uh, even going back to when we built the POC or the prototype back in like May of 2013. We've been working on that for almost nine years. And that's that's one yeah. of the things that I think of any of our competitors uh, that, you know, we stand head and shoulders above 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 others. We're talking to Michael Guest. Gustamaccio, did I say that right? Uh, Guastamaccio. Guastamaccio. God, you know, I used to be able to pronounce names, but you, because <laughs> this we're, we're doing podcasts all over the world, uh, my excuse is that it's very hard to pronounce names from all over the world, but <laughs> I, should, I should be able to do Guastamaccio. But Michael Guastamaccio is the CEO and founder of uh, MediaZilla. It is a, a video platform, a delivery platform, editing in the cloud. You've heard some. You've heard him talk about its capabilities. Walk me through the weeds a little bit here. Say somebody sends me a video uh, by email. Is there an easy way to get it to that URL? How do I? How do I? How would I do that as a user? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just to confirm, is this the? Uh, are you the end user, or, or is this like a colleague that sent it to you, or? A colleague sends it to me. We're working on the same project. Um, I want to make sure other people have access to it. How how do I get it there? Simple yeah. question, really. Yeah, great. Yeah. So if they let's say let's say they record it on uh, Zoom. Let's say we're recording this call. Your your colleague 
puts it up on a Dropbox or Google Drive or even Zoom Cloud and sends you and says, hey, Michael, I need you to get this out to our audience of 1,000 attendees, no problem. So basically you would, first you need to download that video. So you have it locally, and then you would upload it to your MediaZilla account. So the key is getting it into that, that central repository. And then from there, um, if you have the list of emails, if you just want to send the video link out, you just copy and paste the, the video emails or, or the emails for the attendees. And if you're keeping it private, it'll basically send out, we call it digital delivery. So it dispatches from our system, a one-time use email that each recipient will get. And then they're, once they open the email, they're able to set up their free account and take possession of it. Um, if they already had a free account, um, already, ha already had a registered account, all they're doing is logging in and uh, the video will be added to, to their account. Got it. Now, now let's talk a little bit about where you are as a company. You're, you're, um, you've been in business for a while, um, and you and your partners have been together for a while, haven't they? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. My co-founder and I, uh, John, we've been working together uh, professionally since June of 2012. We've we've been longtime friends, so we grew up together. We've known each other for a really long time. Um, but yeah, we've been working together for uh, nearly about ten. Actually, it's technically longer. It's been ten years um, from when we worked on his prior company, but even before that, we actually ran a video production company, me, him and his brother together. Um, so yeah, long, long history of working together, long successful history. The question is, are you still friends? Yeah. <laughs> you you yeah, can lie yeah. in this podcast, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, um, definitely. We, we, don't, we don't wanna make too much trouble, at least not right away. <laughs> but, um, uh, but so, you know, one thing with startups, so there are a couple a couple things. I want to talk about how you would use the money, of course, and the type of investor you're looking for. But but you've been together a while, and some people might consider that um, means you're not the shiny new thing. Um, but on the other hand, it also means you've survived and you've you've actually shown staying power. This is this is not the first time this has come up on on this podcast, where. Um, Companies are almost penalized for surviving because they haven't, maybe they haven't hit a home run. Um, maybe there's another level they feel like they haven't gotten to. But, but anyhow, I think that there are also advantages that come from it. Um, uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say there's, you know, and we've thought about this a lot. I mean, even early on in our early foundings, um, I had, <clears throat> so I went to UCLA and they have an entrepreneurship uh, program, kind of an external program through there. And one of the, the main guys who was running it, I remember talking to him, maybe this was maybe like a year or two, maybe within the first year or two of that, that we started MediaZilla. And I remember asking him about the fundraising process and say, Hey, what do you recommend? You know, what's your process? And basically his kind of takeaway was, yeah, if you're going to do it early on, make a clear decision and go down that path and know what you're getting into that most likely you're gonna have to raise multiple rounds and it's a part of the funding process. And it can be a distraction. It can be a huge help as well, but you have to understand what you're getting into it. And he goes, another option that you can pursue is you self-fund, you figure out other means. And then when and if you need the funding, depending what your goals, then you can kind of go from there. And I thought that was really powerful because, you know, mm. you hear a lot of different noise out there and a lot of it is just like, oh no, you got to go raise money. If you're a startup, if you're calling yourself a startup, you got to raise money. You got to raise, you know, maybe a uh, family and friends round, or you're getting through an accelerator, or you got to do a pre-seed round, a seed round, and rinse and repeat. And, you know, hopefully you have uh, some amount of equity at the end. Hopefully, you know, you're able to satisfy your investors. Um, so, you know, for our purposes, 
a lot of it was just focused on like, we want to build the product and this amazing company. We see this opportunity and we knew, again, we weren't going to be ad supported. So we're like, all right, well, we have a paid business model. My background, I'm, I'm a CPA um, by my background. So I was like, okay, can we build in the unit economics where we can make this, you know, each acquisition profitable and make sure that we're sustainable? I think that's the biggest thing too, is are we sustainable? Um, and, you know, obviously, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons for sure. There's huge benefits of raising money early on, but there's also, you know, it comes with uh, certain responsibilities. So you're, you're a certified public accountant. I am. Yeah. Yeah. My background. I don't know that I've ever met a video person who was a CPA before. So <laughs> I've got to, I've got to think that's a good thing, but no, I, I think, you know, you've, uh, you've bootstrapped it, right? You bootstrapped it. You, you kind of built it yourself. And I still think that's an ideal way to do things often. Um, not always, but often that's an ideal way to do things because you still control it. And it, it, you know, it kind of puts you in a, in a position to grow. So now you've reached the point where you are asking for money. How will you use the 2 million and what kind of investor would be ideal for MediaZilla? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think the big thing right now is really how do we grow at a faster rate? How do we build out more products? How do we uh, do more experiments, take more risk? I think that's really the, the biggest thing where, um, you know, we've, we've figured out a lot of the unit economics of the business. We've built up a really loyal customer base. Um, we have awesome retention mm -hmm. and people love the service. Um, and so now the question is, yeah, how do we get the message out to more people? How do we help solve I just more wanted problems? You to tell, I think you have 161,000 customers, forgive me for interrupting, right? 161,000 registered customers. I mean, that's- We do, yeah. That's not nothing. Yeah. 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 I kind of joke with people where, you know, we're not, we're not yet at Vimeo or YouTube scale, but we're also not kind of tiny anymore, you know, where we, we've built up, yeah. you know, a pretty decent sized company. Um, but- yeah, I think the big thing right now is going back to your earlier question too, is, you know, why are we even raising money um, this late in the game? You know, what's the, what's the goal? And I think a lot of it has been, what is the opportunity and what's changed? And I think the pandemic had a huge impact. You just look at the adoption and acceleration of video and it's just exploded, but there's a lot of challenges that weren't actually solved. It was Zoom did an amazing job solving a lot of these, you know, real-time interactions and things like that. But the video on demand, the VOD delivery, that part was kind of an afterthought. So it's huge amount of content being created and not a lot of thought and effort uh, and time and energy being put into, well, what happens with all that content? So that's kind yeah, of what I would we say feel. No, I would say no time and effort been put into that. I mean, I, I think it's just like um, speaking as is, you know, a pretty happy Zoom Uber user, what happens is, you know, it just kind of creates a file and you forget about it. And in, in fact, not even the name of the file is really recognizable as, as what it was. So, you know, you have to open every file to kind of figure out what's in the file or rename it, of course. Um, so, no, I think that's, a, I think that's a, a very convincing rationale to go and find money. What's your, what's your value, valuation and what would an investor lo be looking at for $2 million? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, looking at kind of a range – uh, I've honed in somewhere between maybe 10 to $20 million pre-money valuation. Um, you know, obviously I understand that there's, there's some subjectivity in there and there's some analysis, but I think if you look at the different drivers of the business, so if you look at the team, how many engineers you have, the composition of the founding team, the composition of the rest of the team, if you look at the, the business model, um, there's a certain valuation you put on there. I think the intellectual property, like what hard problems have you solved that others haven't? Um, if you look at the potential market opportunity. Um, so I think, you know, in that range, um, 
you know, I think that's, it doesn't seem crazy depending on who you are. Some people might say, oh, that's incredibly expensive, you know, depending on X, Y, and Z. And some people are like, well, actually, that's cheap. I'm a, I'm a huge VC company. Great. Yeah. Where do I sign up? Yeah. I mean, I, my advice might be to pick a number um, to decide yourselves, but, but I, I, I understand that's not always easy. Um, and, and then um, what kind of investor would be interested in MediaZilla? What, 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 what would be the most value add for you in an investor? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So I think the, the investors we've talked to, and I think the people who are the biggest value add, I think the one, if I know it's a smaller group of people, the people who understand video, I think that's something that like, whether it's in media entertainment, um, it can be in consumer video, but I think people who just have a fundamental understanding of the medium mm -hmm. of video, um, and maybe to a, sec a lesser degree, even audio. So if you had people who invested in Spotify and other stuff, I think there's some overlap there, but I think that part of it, ideally, but I understand it's a smaller group of people. Um, I think the second people, people who actually believe in the thesis that video is this incredibly powerful medium to communicate information. Um, I think yeah. that is, is core to it. I think if people are, you know, they see this, Hey, maybe there's a great investment opportunity, but they're not really video enthusiasts or they don't really feel, um, that this is this extremely powerful medium. I don't necessarily know if that's going to be a good alignment. And I would say the third part of it, I think is <clears throat> where the investor, you know, where the, maybe even the size of the fund or something like that. So depending on, because yeah. we're a little bit early stage, you know, I, and I, and this is coming from a, a point of empathy or compassion for the investors knowing that, Hey, if I'm running a $500 million fund or a $1 billion fund, you know, the types of returns that I need to yield and the, the home run I need to hit with one or two companies, you know, they need to find the next stripe. They need to find, you know, uh, the next zoom or what have you. So I think that part of it too, is looking at investors that, um, are more in alignment with where we are as a company and understanding, you know, that the likely uh, acquirers or companies that we're, we're trying to align with. So Adobe, maybe Microsoft, other companies like that. So I think there's yeah. that, that's where there would be a huge amount of value for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think it's a, a really big opportunity. Um, when you think of this marketplace you've carved out in video um, and you, you look at YouTube, there's YouTube, which is, you know, uh, gigantic and the thousand pound gorilla. There's Vimeo, which is like the 100-pound gorilla, and um, and that's, you know, kind of it. And then there are companies like yours. So I think there's uh, – and, and, and given what you've said, and it's true about the new, real, the new video reality after the pandemic, there's a need that wasn't there before. There's an, there's a, it's actually a, a killer app. I mean, um, Zoom video conferencing is a killer app uh, in its own way. It's so massively prevalent now. But how would you use the money, uh, Michael? What what would you do at MediaZilla that you can't do now as a bootstrapping company? Yeah, absolutely. So we've kind of laid out, you know, the areas where we want to invest the money. So first, uh, we want to grow our team. There's some key hires that we want to invest. Mm -hmm. So specifically within sales and marketing, I think be able to invest more heavily in those because, you know, they're they can take some time to bear fruit, but getting in front of some of these companies, talking with these folks, building relationships, some of this stuff just takes time. Um, you know, it's especially now people have so much on their plate. So just trying to do the cold outreach, the, you know, the hard sell and stuff like that. I don't think it's as effective as it once was. So I think for us as a company being able to invest and especially thinking about things in terms of relationships, like so much of business, it's not just transactional. Like we have customers that we've been working with for 10 plus years that are extremely loyal 
and they've had our back and we've continued to support them. And those are the types of relationships. So I think investing in sales and marketing for sure. The other piece of it is continuing to grow out our engineering team and our product team. Um, you know, we have mm -hmm. a really talented team and we want to continue growing that investing deeply in the product, which ultimately our members benefit from like the better, yeah. you know, the, the larger yeah, engineering yeah, I mean, team is. People. I'm sorry. You have eight people now, is that right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, there, there's uh, eight of us, including our advisor. Um, and revenues are about a million? Yeah, yeah, we're doing about a million in, in, uh, in recurring revenue. Excellent. Okay, so listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the Accelerator. We're, we've been here with uh, Michael Gustamaccio, Maccio, 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 Gustamaccio, or Maccio. Uh, Maki. So it's kind of like uh, you can think of Pinocchio, Zucchini, uh, Macchiato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Who's the Macchiato? No problem. About that? <laughs> a real paisan. Um, and uh, he's built a, a very interesting company um, going back to 2014 and beyond. Um, editing in the cloud, video in the cloud, um, in the delivery business of video, trying to capitalize on the new world of corporate video. I think there's a great opportunity there, Michael, and um, I commend you for for sur your survival and not only surviving, but really having a, a good business to begin with. I think that's a that's a great place to start. So thank you for being on the accelerator. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I want to remind our listeners, you can get us on all the major platforms. Make sure to search for the accelerator with Michael Conniff, the whole thing, because there are other accelerators out there. The accelerator with Michael Conniff. I'm at Michael Conniff, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-N-N-I-F-F -F, uh, on Twitter. And also uh, my website, michaelconniff.com. Uh, would love to have you sign up there as well. And give us a good rating if you get a chance on Apple and, or any other platform. So uh, thanks so much for being with us. Um, this is The Accelerator. And as I like to say, we'll be back before you know it.